Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you, Father. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together. I know so many other congregations are uh, not able to meet just yet. But, Father, you have given us the ability to be able to gather together in person and worship as Amechad, as one people. And, Father, we thank you for that. I thank you that you allow us to be able to open your word, that here in this country we are still able to freely dig into your word, to freely speak your word, preach your word, share your word with those around us. And so, Father, as we prepare to open the word today, I uh, ask you, Lord, to bless each and every one of us that we will receive from you, that everything that comes out of my mouth will come directly from your heart, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. And, Father, I pray that you will anoint us and transform us leaving this place to encounter the world around us and see legitimate and tangible change for the kingdom of Messiah. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen. So this, uh, this morning was a little weird for me. For those of you that, that got here a little early, you noticed I was kind of all over the place and, and trying to like play catch-up uh, for like the last 15, 20 minutes before service started. Um, what a lot of you may not realize is uh, that literally this morning while I was getting dressed to come to synagogue, my entire message changed. Uh, so I had a message. I had everything lined up for it. And then God said, I was joking. We're going to do this different. Um, so <laughs> so, uh, so this is the new message. Um, and, uh, and we're going to dig right into it. But uh, I just want, I say all of that because like we said last week, talking about uh, Parsha B'Halulchai, it's so important that we encounter the presence of God, the uh, the cloud of glory in such a way that he legitimately leads every footstep that we take and that we are willing to follow him as he does such. And I can tell you this is not the first time that on Saturday morning my message changed. As a matter of fact, um, this may be the first time that it didn't change five minutes before I preached. Um, so normally it's like last second here, you know, audible's called and I got to roll with it. Um, but uh, it is important that we are willing to follow his lead no matter what. So with that said, we're going to go ahead and talk about Parsha Shalach Lecha. Uh, this week, Numbers 13.1 through 15.41 is the Parsha. And just as a reminder, if you follow uh, the traditional Jewish calendar and the Torah Parshot as they are laid out on the calendar, we're a little off right now, um, which is totally my fault, but it's all okay. Um, normally, we're very, I'm very particular about following the traditional calendar for the Parshot. Uh, however, Shavuot this year was on a Thursday night Friday, which meant in the rest of the Jewish world outside of Israel, Friday night and Saturday was also a Shabbat, and so there was a special uh, Parsha specifically for the second day of Shavuot. Um, we don't do a second day of Shavuot because the Torah doesn't say to, um, and so uh, I kind of, out of haste, put everything together earlier that week for the, the Parsha that weekend and ended up doing what was supposed to be the next week. So we will catch up with the rest of the Jewish world in a couple of weeks with the next double Parsha. That'll split out for us, and then we'll be back on track. Uh, so if you look at your calendar and it says Parsha Baha'u'llah, which was what we did last week for today, that's where the confusion is from. You're welcome. It was all from my heart. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> So, you know, this week's Parsha is kind of interesting because we see this really unique contradiction um, between 
what we talked about last week with the Anane HaKavod, the, the cloud of glory and Israel following it, right? We talked last week about how uh, Israel wandered through the wilderness at the behest of the Lord, that the cloud of, the, of uh, glory rested on the Mishkan or the tabernacle, and that as uh, the Lord was ready for Israel to move, that the cloud would lift. Israel would recognize, hey, it's time to break up camp. They'd break up camp and they'd roll out. And then when the cloud of glory rested, they would set up camp and they would chill for however long it was. Sometimes it was overnight, sometimes it was weeks, sometimes it was years before the Lord moved them on again in this 40-year journey. Uh, and it's interesting as we look at this because this week we see kind of the stark contrast of that in the character of the nation of Israel, right? Because this week we start out the Parsha with the, the 12 spies, 10 of whom brought back a negative report of the promised land and two of whom brought back a positive report of the promised land. And when we look at this, what we realize is that these, and I think this is what's really interesting, I, and I think we do this a lot in our own lives too, and, uh, and it's definitely a burden for us that we do this. But if you pay attention to uh, chapter 13 of Numbers and the description of the 12 spies going into the promised land and them coming back, one of the things that Moses told them to do is, if it's possible, bring some of the fruit of the land back with you so that we can see it. And it says that they very specifically grabbed a cluster of grapes that was so large that multiple men had to carry it coming back. And they come back to uh, the wilderness, they cross back over the Jordan, they come back to the nation of Israel. And one of the things that they say is, you know what, guys, listen, the land is exactly how God said. I mean, it's perfect. It literally is land flowing with milk and honey. Look at the fruit. It's way better than we could have ever imagined. This is insane. Oh, by the way, we, we can't, we can't do this. We, we can't do, I know God said everything's exactly like he said, and I know that he said he was going to give us the land, but we can't do this. These dudes are giants. We look like grasshoppers to them. There's no possible way we can do this. And so we see this stark contrast between last week and the idea of Israel willingly following the presence of God through the wilderness and allowing God to prepare the way for them as they traveled to this week and the complete and total rejection of the promised land, all because they heard a report that didn't quite work for them, right? Uh, and as I said, 10 spies brought an evil report, two spies, Joshua and Caleb, brought a good report of the promised land and even encouraged the nation of Israel to get out of their own heads and trust God's promise. The problem wasn't with the land itself. The problem wasn't with the promised land. It, it wasn't with Adonai uh, uh, or, or what he wanted for uh, Israel. The problem was, in fact, that Israel couldn't get out of their own way. Israel had what I would call a, uh, an issue with um, spiritual ADHD, right? And those of you that know me are, you know I have zero attention span whatsoever. Um, if you've ever attempted to have an important conversation with me and had to go, hey, rabbi, hey, rabbi, hey, rabbi, because I zone out or my head goes in 30 different directions, there's a reason why the blinds in the sanctuary are closed because every motorcycle, every car, every everything going by would catch my attention. So Israel had what we'd call a spiritual ADHD. Um, and, and they couldn't keep their hearts or their minds focused on not only the word of the Lord, but on the promise of the Lord, and more importantly, on walking in faithfulness and trusting the Lord. And sadly, often we find ourselves and our lives operating in very much the exact same way. Interestingly enough, uh, and this is uh, what we're going to focus on today with this message, is the, the same exact parsha in which we read about the spies, uh, the ten spies with a negative report, and the nation of Israel as a whole completely rejecting the promised land, is also the exact same parsha that closes out with the command for the tzitziot. 
for the tassels that we wear on our clothing, for the, the tzitzit that are on our talitot, our uh, prayer shawls that we wear. And so it's really interesting, and this is what we're going to be focusing on today is the tzitziot. It's really interesting that the same parsha that begins with such a, a, a stark negative and a huge contrast from following the presence of God last week ends with this, this command or this call to wear uh, tzitziot or, or tassels on the end of our garments. Um, so I want you to think about this as we, as we go through the, the, the message today. And that's this question, what are we focused on? What are you focused on? Are you focused on the promises of God or what you perceive as a reality that happens to be right before your eyes? Um, so if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Numbers chapter 15, beginning with verse 37. Numbers chapter 15, verse 37. It says, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, Speak to B'nai Israel, say to them, that they are to make for themselves seed seed on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and they are to put a blue cord on each seed seed. And we're going to pause there. So this is a command for the corporate nation of Israel. And in a moment when we pick up again with verse 39, we'll see that that command now shifts to an individual responsibility. So there's a corporate responsibility, and then there's an individual responsibility, all right? So uh, this is dealing with this, this idea of the corporate responsibility, as he says, uh, speak to B'nai Israel, speak to the children of Israel, and say to them that they are to make for themselves seed seed on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and they are to put a blue cord on each seed seed. As I said a few moments ago, the first half of Parsha Shalach Lecha is focused primarily on the 12 spies and Israel's rejection of the promised land. However, at the very end of the Parsha, we find this interesting and seemingly out-of-place commandment discussing the wearing of Tzitziot. If you spend any time around an Orthodox Jewish community, you'll notice that this command is one which is strictly followed. There are even specified traditional ways in which we tie Tzitziot. Uh, and each one of those means something slightly different than the other. So, uh, for instance, the, the two primary, Ashkenazi and Sephardi. Ashkenazi, the, the uh, number of strings, the number of knots, the number of twists, and so on, all put together, you actually get two different things. One is, out of all of that put together, you get 613, which is the number of commandments that are recognized in the Torah. And so, literally, when we look down upon them, we remember the commandments because it, it's a reminder of 613. The, uh, the Sephardi tradition of how they're tied, uh, the Sephardi tradition, the knots and the, the cords and the way that it's twisted and everything, uh, totals up to the, the gematria number or the, the numerical value of the word yod heh And so, it reminds you when you look down upon them, you're reminded of uh, the reality of who it is we serve and what we're supposed to do in serving Him and obeying uh, the, the, the word of the Lord. And so there's this really unique connection in even the traditions of how we wear them. And for those that are curious, I tie mine personally and I tie them in the Ashkenazi fashion, not because I think one is necessarily more superior than the other, but because to me, looking down and being reminded of the, the number of commandments in the Torah is a little more valuable in the command, which is to wear CTO to remember the commandments, than looking down and being reminded specifically of just the, the numerical value of the name of God. That's not to say that there isn't value in that, but uh, to me personally, uh, I find a greater purpose in the, the Ashkenazi uh, tradition there. So uh, what, what most do not realize, though, is that the, the tzitziot, although they have a practical purpose, they have a practical reality, they also have a prophetic purpose and a prophetic reality as well. Um, and, and this prophetic reality is actually something of great value in the reality of discipleship. Notice there are three uh, key things in verse 38. There are three key things as it relates to the CTO in verse 38. Number one, they are to be tied on the corners or the ends of a garment. Number two, they are to be worn throughout Israel's generation. In other words, it's just like the Shabbat. 
uh, or the, the Moadim, where the Lord says, these are forever. It is an eternal covenant. These are what you were supposed to do forever within uh, your, your people. And then number three, they are to be attached with Tehlet or the blue string, uh, which the Shamash or the servant string that actually uh, binds everything together is what is the, the Tehlet or the blue string. This Tehlet is very important, albeit most of Judaism today does not wear the Tehlet due to the particular snell that is used for the dye. Uh, it's very difficult to come by. However, it is perhaps, in my opinion at least, one of the most important aspects of the tzitziot themselves. Uh, of this tzitziot, of the blue string, the Talmud says in Menachot, our rabbis taught the chilazon, uh, which is the, the snail that they get the dye from. The chilazon resembles the sea in its color and in shape it rep uh, resembles a fish. It comes up from the sea once in 70 years and with its blood one dyes the blue thread. Therefore, it is expensive. And if you've ever tried to buy kosher techlet, it is very expensive. Um, and the Talmud Sotza 17a says, Why is blue singled out from all the varieties of colors? Because blue resembles the sea, and the sea resembles the heavens, and heaven resembles the divine throne, as is written in Exodus 24.10. They saw the God of Israel, and at his feet was as it were pay, a paved work of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Also along with this, we recognize that the color of the techlet, the blue, is similar to that of what was used in the Mishkan and the actual threading of the Mishkan, um, that which was used for some of the priestly garments, and even more so that which was used for the kingly garments of Israel. So this same color, and it's actually the, the Hebrew word, is, is something a little darker than like a traditional blue. It's, it's almost bordering on like a purple-ish type color. Um, so it reminds us of the Mishkan, it reminds us of the priestly garments, and it reminds us of the kingly garments of Israel. In the Tzitziot with Techlet, we see a reminder of the dwelling of Hashem, again the Mishkan. We see the reminder of the priest who intercedes for Israel, and we see the reminder of the king of Israel. Right, And so we look a little deeper and we realize that this powerful image for us to grasp today as we recognize that through the atonement of Yeshua, uh, His Ruach HaKodesh, His Holy Spirit, which is in fact His presence, now makes its dwelling within us. Right, So His uh, glory, His presence dwelled within the tabernacle of the Mishkan. The tzitzit remind us, or the tzitzit reminds of the Mishkan, and, and then we recognize that as believers in Messiah Yeshua, that his ruach, his spirit, his presence now dwells within us. We become that temporary dwelling place. We become, in essence, the Mishkan, the tabernacle. We recognize that Hebrews describes Yeshua as our Kohen Hagadol in the order of Malchitzedek, who intercedes on our behalf. And so as the Techlet reminds us of the priestly uh, garments and the priesthood's function and interceding for Israel, it also reminds us of the reality of Yeshua interceding on behalf of us as our Kohen Gadol. Uh, and then likewise, we recognize that Yeshua is our Melech Mashiach, our King Messiah, in the lineage of Melech David, of King David. So when we look down at the Tzitziot as believers, the imagery goes so much deeper and becomes so much more powerful. And a lot of times in the body of Messiah, again, as we said last week, there appears to be often this kind of dichotomy of grace versus law, of grace versus Torah, as though the blood atonement of Messiah upon the cross, as is often said, that the, the Torah, the commandments were nailed to the cross with him, and we no longer have to do that anymore. And have to, sure, I'll give you that. We, we don't have to. God's not going to make us do anything. And that's just the bottom line. But if we look at the totality of the Brachet uh, and I talk about this a lot in Bible studies and stuff, if we look at the totality of the Brachet or the, the New Covenant and the New Testament writings, there's 1,050 commandments in the New Testament. Anybody ever realized that before? 
There's 1,050 commandments in the New Testament. In the Torah, we get 613. There's 1,050 in the New Testament. So which one seems heavier? Which one seems like a greater weight? But even more so is there's not a single commandment in the Tanah, I mean, in the Brachadasha in the New Testament that isn't either a replica of or a further iteration of how to observe a commandment in the Torah. The reality is, is that there's nothing wrong with obeying the Torah. There's nothing wrong for believers to live out a life of obedience to the Torah so long as we recognize that the Torah is part of the totality of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation and that we can live out the Torah, but we also have to understand that in order to live it out properly and fruitfully, we have to live it out as a follower of Messiah who not only exemplifies but explains what that looks like right? So we talk about Matthew 5, and Matthew 5, Yeshua says, uh, you've heard it said it's sin to commit murder, but I say you've even hated somebody in your heart, you've already committed the sin of murder, right? You've heard it said it's sin to commit adultery, but I tell you, you've even lusted in your heart, you've already committed the sin uh, in your heart. Both of these, both adultery and lust, murder and hatred are dealt with in the Torah. None of those four things are new. And he's not saying, look guys, as long as you don't lust after that chick, it's okay, you can do whatever you want. Just don't lust, right? He's not saying that. He's definitely not saying as long as you don't hate somebody in your heart, you can murder them all you want, right? But what he is saying is for every external commandment, for every physical action, there's an internal reaction or an internal sin that predicates it. Both lust and adultery, both hatred and murder are dealt with in the Torah. This isn't anything new. But he is saying in order for you to live this out right, in order for you to not murder people for the right reasons, not that there's a right reason to murder people, but in order for you to not murder people for the right reason, not just because, oh, I think murder's wrong and I shouldn't do it, but to actually live out the Word of God for the proper reasons, uh, we first have to allow the presence of the Word made flesh, Yeshua Mashiach, to reside within our hearts. And once He resides within our hearts, He handles the internal so that lust and, and hatred aren't an issue. And once lust and hatred are taken out of the picture, murder and adultery, murder and fornication can't occur. But when it does occur, when an external sin does occur, what that means is that we were not walking in alignment with the reality of the Word made flesh in our hearts, with the reality of the Jeremiah 31 promise of the new covenant being written upon our hearts. We, in that moment in time, in that area of our life, had not given God complete and total control of our lives and our hearts. We go on with verse 39, Numbers 15, picking it with verse 39. It says, It will be your own seat seat. So whenever you look at them, you will remember all the mitzvot of Adonai and do them and not go spying out after your own heart and your own eyes, prostituting yourselves. This way, you will remember and obey all the mitzvot, all my mitzvot, and you will be holy to your God. I am Adonai, your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Adonai, your God. Now, the commandment for the tzitziot becomes more personal. It, 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 it comes down to now an individual level. So the first two verses were more of a corporate expression uh, as the Lord was speaking to each and every person in the nation of Israel. And now it's a, a, an individual expression. This is something now that's speaking to me as an individual. So why do we wear tzitziot? We wear them so that when we look down upon uh, them, we will be reminded of all the mitzvot or the commandments of Adonai. All of his commandments, more specifically, we will remember his word, all of it, as believers from Genesis to Revelation. We remember his word. We will live it, and we will obey it. Here's the kicker. The Hebrew word here is tataru, ta, uh, sorry, tatsuru, uh, from the root word tor, meaning to spy. This is, in fact, the same exact word that is used in the beginning of this parsha, Numbers 13, where the Lord instructs Moses to send 12 Nassim or 12 princes to spy out the land of Israel. 
This word is, is selected intentionally to remind Israel of their mistake with the report of the spies and to remind them not to do the same thing, spying after their own heart and eyes and breaking covenant with the Lord. So again, verse 39, it will be your own seed seat, the personal individual aspect. It will be your own seed seat. So whenever you look at them, you will remember all that it's spoke about an eye and do them and not go spying out after your own hearts and your own eyes, prostituting yourselves. Again, we go back to the idea of Matthew 5 and the, the uh, teaching from Yeshua of adultery and lust, of murder and hatred. He says, if you let me handle the inside, the outside won't be a problem. He says, if you let me handle the inside, you can't go spying out after your own heart and your own eyes and prostitute yourselves in sin. Also, over and over again throughout the Tanakh, uh, the Lord relates sin, uh, the sin of Israel, to prostituting oneself uh, after false gods or idolatry, also in Hebrew known as Abodah Zerah. Um, and so we see this, for instance, in Hosea. That's the whole discussion of Hosea is that Israel prostituted themselves after the Baalim, the, the false gods of the land of Canaan. In the Jerusalem Talmud in uh, Berachot 1-2, it says um, that uh, Rabbi Meir uh, said it does not say, and you shall see them. In other words, when the, you look down upon them, that you shall see them, speaking of the tzitzit, but that you shall see him. The Hebrew word oto, which is what's translated as them, can also translated, be translated as him. This teaches that everyone who fulfills the mitzvah of tzitzit is, uh, it is, as if he has greeted the face of the divine presence, for the blue thread re resembles the sea, the sea resembles grasses, grasses resemble the sky, and the sky resembles the divine throne. Again, we see this image, right? As I said before, Yeshua is the word made flesh. This is what John 1 says, that the word came and tabernacle among us, uh, and, and, and we see this image of Yeshua as that word made flesh, who lived out not only a perfect and righteous life, not only became the atonement sacrifice for mankind, but became the exemplification of what honoring the word of God, walking in and living out the word of God is supposed to look like. And so when we look at the tzitziot, as Rabbi Meir says, is when we look at the CTO, the, the, the commandment can be translated as when you look down at them, but it can also be translated as when you look down at him, speaking of the divine presence or of God himself. And as believers, as I've already said, we see this messianic prophetic application or implication, uh, maybe a better word here, as we look at the CTO, because it points us directly to Yeshua. And so as believers, walking in the blood atonement of Messiah, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, living out a life of righteousness and holiness before the Lord, when we wear tzitzit and we look down upon them, it's not just because it's rote practice, it's not just because Judaism says we have to, it's not just because it's some commandment in the Torah that says we're supposed to do this, but if you do it, you have to do it for the right reason, and the right reason as a believer is that when we look down upon them, we will see Yeshua. We will see the goal of what all of the Torah is bringing us to, the goal of what all of the Tanakh is bringing us to, which is Messiah Yeshua. We will be reminded of not just how we are to walk, but more importantly, what did Yeshua come to do? He came to redeem us from our sins. So the Tzitzit, a reminder of the necessity to make Teshuvah, to repent, to return back to Him, not just to say, oh, God, I messed up again. Uh, I hope you forgive me and go on about it, doing it all the same way all over again, over and over and over. But the biblical concept of repentance is the Hebrew word teshuvah, which means to return. It's as though you're walking in the wrong direction. You realize it. You stop dead in your tracks. You make a 180-degree turn, and you walk back to the presence of God, to the loving embrace of your heavenly Father. 
Again, and, and this is a, a, a story that I think I've always found really interesting in the Talmud from Menachot 44a. Uh, we see this interesting story about a man and his interaction with the tzitzit. So there was once a man who was very scrupulous about the uh, precept of tzitzit. One day he heard of a certain harlot overseas who took 400 gold dinars. Uh, uh, he took 400 gold dinars for her. Uh, she, sorry, I'll learn to read one day. Who took four gold, 400 gold dinars for her hire? There we go. He sent her 400 gold dinars and appointed a day with her. When the day arrived, he came and waited at her door. And her maid came and told her, That man who sent you 400 gold dinars is here and waiting at the door. To which she replied, Let him come in. When he came in, she prepared for him seven beds, six of silver and one of gold. And between the bed, uh, the one bed and the other, there were steps of silver. But the last were of gold. She then went up to the top of uh, bed and lay down upon it naked. He too went up after her in his desire to sit naked with her, when all of a sudden the four fringes of his garment struck him across the face, whereupon he slipped, up, slipped off and sat, sat upon the ground. She also slipped off and sat upon the ground and said, By the Roman capital, I will not let you go until you tell me what blemish you saw in me. I swear, he replied, that never have I seen a woman as beautiful as you. But there is one precept which our God has commanded us called Siti. And with regard to it, uh, the expression, I am the Lord your God, is twice written, signifying, I am he who will exact punishment in the future, and I am he who will give reward in the future. Now the Tzitzit appeared to me as four witnesses. Said she, I will not leave you until you tell me your name, the name of your town, the name of your teacher, and the name of your school in which you study the Torah. He wrote all this down and handed it to her. Thereupon she arose, divided her wealth into three parts, one-third for the government, one-third to be distrib distributed among the poor, and one-third she took with her in her hand. The bedcloths, however, she retained. She then came to the study hall of Rabbi Chaya and said to him, Master, give instructions about me that they may make me a proselyte, in other words, a convert. Those very bedcloths which she had spread for him for an illicit purpose, she now spread out for him lawfully. And so the, the, the Talmudic story says that ultimately uh, that they end up getting married, that she converts to Judaism. She becomes a follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they end up getting married. Her life is completely flipped around. But it was because of his, and, and this is what's neat, all right? Again, the act of wearing tzitzit physically, spiritually, literally does zero for you. It's a spiritual implication of what we're interacting with when we do so. All right? And so in this case, this guy was way off in the wrong, right? Cool. He's a Torah observant dude. He's, he's a Jewish guy who loves the word of the Lord so far as he even wears CTO all the time. But then he's chasing after a prostitute. He's literally trying to live out what Yeshua says not to do, what the Torah says not to do. And it's because he goes to take off his Talikatan, he goes to take off his CTO. And as he does, one of the CT slaps him in the face and it gets his attention. And you've heard me talk about this before. My dad and I kind of jokingly argue uh, about whether or not you should wear your tzitzit on the outside or the inside of your clothes. And uh, so my dad tucks his in, and I always wear mine out. And kind of the banter that we go back and forth with is, uh, is he'll say, well, the Torah just says to, command, uh, to wear them. It doesn't say whether you wear them out or in. And I said, yeah, but what it does say is that you're supposed to look down upon them and remember the commandments. And if the only time that I can see them is when I'm in the bathroom, they're really not getting me very far, right? Because there's a lot of time I don't spend in the bathroom. 
And the reality is, is if the only time that we're thinking about God is when we're wearing tzitziot, whether it's on a talikatana or talikadol in services or whatever, then we're not really focused on being obedient to Him in the Spirit, right? The tzitzit are an outward expression of something that should change on the inside. It's an outward expression of something, just like Yeshua says, if you let me handle the inside, the outside won't sin, right? So the lack of murder and adultery is an outward expression of something that Yeshua has done on the inside. And if we're going to wear tzitziot to remind us of the Word of God, to remind us of who we are in Yeshua, to remind us of what Messiah has done for us, and even more importantly, to remind us of the necessity to return because we will, whether we like to admit it or not, we will still sin. Even with tzitziot on, we will sin. And so it's a reminder to return, to make teshuvah, to come back to him continually. This is a powerful image, and Numbers 15, 39 is the connective tissue between the beginning of this Parsha with the, the, the 12 spies and the ending of the Parsha. It is the connective tissue between the spies and rejection of the promised land and the command towards Etiot. The Lord commanded Israel to wear tzitziot on the corners or ends of their garments so that when, when we look down upon them, we will remember the word of the Lord. We will remember his commandments and not be led astray. And this is an important reality because we're talking about the nation of Israel at a point in time where they had completely walked away from the promises of God. They completely rejected everything the Lord said he wanted to do for them. Everything he said he was going to do for them. They rejected it and without missing a beat, even though, the Lord, even though the Lord said that everyone born in that first generation, everyone that was 20 or above when the first uh, 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 census of Israel, the first counting of Israel was taken in the early parts of Numbers, that they were all going to die in the wilderness. He didn't forget them, and he didn't forget their descendants, and he didn't forget the generations would come later because he gave, at the end of the same exact Parsha, he gave this promise, this, this prophetic reality of the command of the CTO, which points us to something far greater that the Lord is doing through Yeshua, our Messiah. John, uh, 1 John 3, 1 through 9 says, See how glorious a love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Loved ones, now we are God's children, and it has not yet been revealed what we, what we will be, but we do know that when it's revealed, we shall be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. Everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone practicing sin also practices lawlessness. Indeed, sin is lawlessness. Catch what John's saying here. Do you catch what John's saying here? He's using very intentional language. What defines sin is the Torah. What defines sin is the Torah. And he says that if we are living in sin, if we are living in right and lawlessness, then, uh, or practicing sin, then it's lawlessness. He says sin is defined by our observance of the word of God. Whether we're talking specifically of the Torah itself, the first five books of the Bible, or the totality of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. You know that Yeshua appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who sins has seen him or known him. Children, let no one mislead you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as Yeshua is righteous. The reason he says practice is because it is a practice. Just like we always joke, you know, doctors are always practicing. They're never experts. They're always practicing. Um, and, and that's the reality is we are practicing in righteousness because we're constantly learning. We're constantly growing, or at least we should be. The one who practices sin is of the devil. 
For the devil has been sinning for, from the beginning. Ben Elohim, or the Son of God, appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God practices sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. Romans 8, 1 through 6, Paul uh, kind of reiterates some of this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. For the law of the spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what was impossible for the Torah, since it was weakened on account of the flesh, God has done. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering, he condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us. Notice he doesn't say so that the forsaking of Torah might be fulfilled in us. He says so that the requirement of Torah might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Ruach. The Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, which inspired every word from Genesis to Revelation, including the Torah. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Ruach set their minds on the things of the Ruach. For the mindset of the flesh is death, for the mindset of the Ruach is life and shalom. So again, I ask you, what are you focused on? Are you focused on the promises of God, on the leading of God, on the word of God, on the direction of what God wants to do in and through you? Or are you focused on what you perceive as reality before your very eyes? As I prepare to close, I want to ask our worship team to go ahead and make their way back up. Um, and, and as they do, I, I want to kind of tie this all together. I bring up this passage from Romans 8 because it is a powerful reminder that as followers of Messiah Yeshua, we have the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. This is the same Ruach which inspired the authorship of each and every book of the Bible. Jeremiah 31 says that the Lord will place the new covenant within our hearts. This is not a new covenant as in a replacement. But rather, the new covenant is his word being placed within our hearts by the promised reality that Yeshua, the living word, would reside in our hearts. So in Romans 8, Paul is saying something very similar to the prophetic purpose and to which the prophetic purpose is pointing to of the tzitziot. We are to wear tzitziot so that when we look down upon them, we'll remember the mitzvot and live by them. They are, uh, they are there when we are walking in righteousness and also when we're not as a call to Teshuvah. Likewise, and the greater reality is that the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, serves in the same purpose, giving us the strength to walk in righteousness and pricking our hearts to get us to make Teshuvah when we fail. For us as believers, the Tzitziot are a physical reminder of a spiritual promise and reality. They are reminders to keep our hearts, minds, and eyes focused on the Lord, focused on our walk, focused on our relationship with him. And to bring this all back home again, the beginning stages of Numbers 13, we read about the, the spies being sent. And they come back to Moses. And when they come back to Moses, they actually come back before the entire nation of Israel. And they bring an evil report. Ten of them do at least. And they say, the land is exactly how Adonai said it would be, but we can't do this. It may be exactly what God said, but God didn't really mean what he said because we can't do this. They're too big for us. They're too mighty for us. They're too many for us. Keep in mind, they left Egypt with Egypt's armament. They left Egypt with Egypt's weaponry. They were ready for war. They just didn't know it. And more importantly, as we see in Joshua, had they simply allow, allowed God to do what God wanted to do, they would have never faced war right out the gate. Because there are three cities in, I believe it is, in Joshua before they ever actually have to lift the sword to do anything. In the meantime, they allowed God to fight for them, and they just cleaned up the mess. What's really interesting is a lesson learned 
between Numbers 13 and Joshua uh, 2, the, the early chapters of Joshua, Joshua 1 and 2, as Joshua sends in spies, notice he sends them secretly. He doesn't do it in front of the entire nation like Moses did. Not only does he send them in secretly, but he only sends two. Dramatically decreases the odds of somebody coming back with a bad report, right? Because he knows 10, 12 went out, 10 had a bad report, and only two brought back a good one. He was one of those two. He learned the lesson. He only sent two, and it was in secret. And when they came back, they came back directly to him, and they reported solely to him, not to the entire nation of Israel. He learned really powerful lessons. But what I think is, is absolutely mind-blowing is the words of Rahab when they go, the spies are at Rahab's house because she comes up to the roof after the, the men hunting them down are sent out the city. She comes up to the roof to talk to him. She goes, look, I know God's given you the land. She says, not only do I know God has given you the land, but you need to understand that fear has been on every single person in the land of Canaan since we heard of what God did for you in Egypt. We have been wrecked by fear because of what God did for you in Egypt. Keep in mind that the people in the land of Canaan were being dispossessed from the land because they were so far gone that God said they'll never come back around. And those are the people that believed more in the promises of God than the people of God. How often do we live our lives like that? How often do we live our lives in such a way that we fearfully approach the call that God has given us? That we don't wholeheartedly take to heart the reality of what God wants to do in and through us because we are afraid of what might lie ahead of us. Even though it's exactly what God said. And this is the purpose for the CTO. This is the purpose for the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh. And I don't care whether or not you wear CTO on a regular basis. It's between you and God, what you do and what you don't do as far as obedience to that goes. But I want you to understand that the tzitziot are a prophetic reality, a prophetic foreshadowing of the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh. It's a prophetic reality and foreshadowing of the work of the, the, the indwelling of God, the presence of God in the, the Mishkan or the tabernacle, of the reality of Yeshua as our Kohen Gadol, and the promise of Yeshua as our Melech Mashiach, as our King Messiah who will reign for all eternity on the throne of God. This is what the tzitziot are for. And it's a prophetic reality of what God is going to do in our hearts and our lives through the Ruach HaKodesh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which will empower us and enable us to walk faithfully in the ways of the Lord. We can't honor the Word of God. And I don't care whether you're looking at that as trying to live out the Torah or you're looking at that as trying to only do what the New Testament says. You can't do it at all without the Ruach. You can't do it without the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God inspired the words of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And the Spirit of God is what will lead us to honor and obey His Word and righteousness. Messiah calls us to emulate Him. And He lived the Torah perfectly. Can we do that? Technically, yes. Only because of the Ruach HaKodesh. But we're still human. We're still idiots. And we're still going to make idiotic mistakes. And this is why we are constantly reminded by the Sitziot. This is why we're constantly reminded as believers by the Ruach HaKodesh to come back, to return. How many have heard the voice of God, whether it's in a literal, audible sense or in that still, small voice in your heart because of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Lord simply tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, I'm here. When are you going to turn back around? I don't care about the mistakes you made. I've got a way to fix it. I've got a way to make you better for the future. Imagine if just before we step over the line into sin, we get slapped in the face by the CTO. 
or more importantly, slapped in the face by the Ruach HaKodesh. Be careful what you ask for because he might really do it and I'd probably hurt. But how much more amazing would it be if we had that constant reminder in front of us? Oh, nope, there's a line. I need to back up. I'm walking away from the Lord. I've got to be restored. This guy was willing to go so far as to sleep with a prostitute until his CTO had acted as a reminder of the word of God. How often we mess up simply because we forsake the word of God. We forsake our relationship with him. We forsake building our discipleship with him. And we lose sight of what the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is calling us to do faithfully in and through him. His word reigns true no matter what. And as Paul says, there is no condemnation because the work of the Torah will be completed in your heart and your life by the Spirit of God. Not by anything you try to do on the outside, not by anything you try to do on the inside, but by what you allow God to do through His Holy Spirit in your hearts and your lives. And through the internal work of the Holy Spirit, we will see the external reality of the kingdom of God coming forth from our hearts and our lives and impacting the world around us for the good of His kingdom. Amen. Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you that your word reigns true no matter what, that your word reigns true eternally. Father, I thank you that in spite of how often we try to push your word out of the way so that we can do what we want, that you are constantly drawing us back in repentance to you. Lord, I thank you that you give us foreshadowings, prophetic foreshadowings like the CTO to remind us of what the work of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing in our lives, what we are supposed to be allowing you to do in our lives. Lord, I pray that you will encourage us, that you will build us up so that we can set aside our wants and our desires to focus on your wants and desires for us. That we can focus on our relationship with you, on bolstering our walk in you so that the world around us will see the might and the power of your glory in our lives. And many will come to know the saving power of the blood atonement of Yeshua HaMashiach through what you have done and are doing in us. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen.